guess we could talk about the show a little bit. Yeah. Uh, welcome to Channel 3 Podcast. Uh, this is a podcast where we talk about older video games. Uh, we're going to start way back at the start with the NES um, and just kind of work our way forward with games that we enjoy. And Yeah, I think I think it's really important that... Uh you know, we, we definitely start from the beginning. I mean, I, I, I you know, I, there's a handful of shows I listen to now that, um, you know, are focusing more on modern games. That's fine. Um, but I, I kind of want to relive my childhood a little bit um, <laughs> as, as <laughs> if for nothing else uh, to see how how I want to take the rose tinted glasses off. I want to look at the nest with fresh eyes and uh, really get into some of these games because there are some gems in there. Um, there, there are, and I think you're mentioning the rose tinted glasses is, is kind of right on the nose. This is more a chance for us to go back and really examine the games and some of the games that we loved as children. You know, now that we're adults and we've we've kind of entered into this era, the golden era, really of video games where they're everywhere, they're very popular, and there's a lot of design theory and everything else that's been established. Like, I think it's important to go back and look at what these people were doing when they had nothing to go on and their only way to communicate with you was via the manual and then the Nintendo Power, baby. Yeah, I was not a subscriber to that. Uh, My growing up uh, on video games basically consisted of, I think I had maybe a dozen NES games um, before I made a jump to Genesis. And, and I had some friends that were on Super Nintendo and they, of course, they got the brunt of all of the cool stuff. You know, they got their Street Fighters and their Legend of Zeldas and their Spider-Man Maximum Carnages and things like that. Um, you know, I'm very excited to hit the Sega Genesis. I think that there are a lot of Sega Genesis titles that are exceptionally good and that really haven't been eclipsed yet. Um, one of my favorite games of all time, basically the thing that has influenced me most in my entire life is on Sega Genesis. So I am excited for us to hit that particular point. Out of curiosity, you want to share what that title is? Uh, Fantasy Star 4 on uh, Sega Genesis. Um, I still play that game regularly, at least twice a year, usually more. Um, I have liter- thousands of hours logged into the game. It's, I mean, it's an RPG, and it doesn't take that long to beat, like maybe sure. 20, 24 hours. Like it was a... Oh, that's paltry by, yeah, by yeah. modern standards. Yeah, by modern standards, that's, that's not a whole lot. That's that's a, it, that's a tutorial in Final Fantasy thirteen. <laughs> I know, right? Like that's <laughs> like you play for twenty hours before you even start the game, quote unquote. But Fantasy Star Four had everything that you could want. It had amazingly well developed characters, mm-hmm. exceptionally well done dialogue, fantastic cutscenes that were done in kind of an anime manga comic style that I still haven't seen replicated well like obviously that's that's a thing that's been done but it hasn't been done well and it like the whole game is just absolutely phenomenal the world building the ever you don't even have to play the other fantasy star games you can just play that one and it is so incredible yeah yeah the, the genesis was really the the um the first system that my my younger brother and i really got our our hooks into um sonic the hedgehog and all the sonic games were were our bread and butter yeah Um, sonic and sonic 2 absolutely amazing amazing uh, games vector man was one that not a lot of people really remember um but i i've i very distinctly remember his his walk cycle being just very very fluid um earthworm jim earthworm jim was a super nintendo title 
Was it? No, yeah. it was a, there was there was a Genesis title for it too. There was. Um, I think that was a release after the original. That that might be the case. Um, I know that Castlevania Bloodlines was only released yes. on the Super Nin- on the Genesis, and that is an incredibly good game. I, um, it's also punishingly difficult. I only uh, just just recently with a with a very recent playthrough of Symphony of the Night uh, realized that the opening scene to that is the ending of bloodlines it it is and i had no idea it's uh castlevania is kind of an acquired taste the original castlevania is an action adventure game that there's not a whole lot of story there's some but it's it's mainly just hey there's a castle and there's some bad guys go kill him and then it's just punishingly difficult jumps and timing and you have to be patient and it Right. disincentivizes quick play and then simon's quest 2 which is a complete and total departure from what the original castlevania was and it's just from there the games are all over the place so right, right. I, it's understandable it's not for everybody some of the games are good some of the games shouldn't have happened like castlevania 64 <laughs> <laughs> so with that uh you know i, I think we're we're, we're kind of uh putting the cart about 16 miles ahead of the horse on that but uh we're talking about the genesis so you know, I, I think we should get back. Let's let's talk about the nest a little bit, and let's let's talk about some of these uh, these this this goofy, um, you know, second in line items because you know, when you start talking about the nest, everyone expects you to go. Let's start at the beginning. Let's start with the Super Mario Brothers. The first time I played Super Mario Brothers, I was in the hospital ward of uh, Saint Francis, and I played it with a uh, leukemia patient. It was another young child. Um, and we just, we were up all night. We just playing back and forth. I would die. He would take over. He would die. I would take over. And we just had a blast. Um, I didn't know it, but he died a couple of weeks later. Um, but that was like, I mean, everyone has a story like that. I thought he was cool. Cause he had like, you know, that awesome, uh, shaved head look. And I always thought that was awesome. Um, obviously, you know, as an adult, I now realize he was bald because of, you know, chemotherapy. But at the time he was just like, holy cow, you are amazing. Well, let's play video games. And then sure. we, we stayed up all night playing playing Super Mario Brothers. But. Right. So uh, so with that, I mean, I think everyone's first NES title was probably Super Mario Brothers um, or Duck Hunt. Duck, uh, there's the Super Mario Brothers Duck Hunt combo. And right. I could definitely see that. Like, that was a big deal. Right. So like I could the, see the, that. The action the set with the light gun and all that. Oh, yeah. Um, while that would be a excellent entry point into this podcast and where we would like to start we're going to skip ahead a title and we're going to jump into the weirdest super mario brothers game uh next to maybe mario teaches typing and uh mario uh, uh mario's mario and time machine mario's time machine yeah we're, we're gonna lump those in with super mario brothers 2 which, uh, and, and just for clarification, this is uh, not Super Mario Brothers: The Lost Levels as the Americans know it. Um, it is not Super Mario Brothers Two as the Japanese audience knew it. That those are the same same game basically. This is uh, Doki Doki Panic that was kind of reskinned and republished in the United States, and it is a wild wild departure into the subconscious of either mario or everyone in the mushroom kingdom we're not it's the game is uh remarkably ambivalent on that point and that's something we'll go over um but it's just it's important to stress how much of a departure this was from the first game 
if you think about it, the original Super Mario Brothers game was Mario goes from left to right and then jumps on a flagpole and goes to the next level. And then eventually he makes Bowser fall into a molten lake of lava and saves the princess. In this one, there's creepy masks and keys and a shadow world and the all the enemies are different. There's no enemy carryover from game one to game two. Everything was different. And this is like, this is Nintendo's whole business is Super Mario Brothers. That's every American knows Super Mario Brothers. That's right. that's where people started on this system. So to go from this insanely successful first release and then to jump into Super Mario Brothers 2 takes some iron balls. Well, and, and even when you look at um, just the overall tone of the game, you know, the original game, the Super Mario Brothers, you, you, the first level you fire it up, you've got bricks, you've got clouds, you've got Goombas, you've got pipes and piranha plants and mushrooms. And those all that iconography, immediately gone in the second game. You start yeah. it up and the first thing you see is a red door with a goofy face on it and you're falling from the sky and all the enemies have masks. And it's weird and creepy. And it's like the style and pacing of the game are also radical departures. Like in the first game, you have points, you have a timer that you're fighting against to get across the level. And then in super Mario brothers two, you can do whatever, like you can stand on top of the mountain that you fall down for, you know, 10 hours if you need to set it down and go away. So it's just, it's, it's just a radical, radical departure. Right. Um, as far as the the mechanics in the game uh, from Super Mario Brothers one, in terms of you have your big character, your big Mario, and you get hit, you have a small Mario. You get hit again, you're dead. Uh, this game kind of does that. It, there is a health bar uh, by way of little red pips on the left hand side of your screen, and when they're full, they're full. That's you're, you're fine. You get hit, you just one of those pips goes away. When you get down to one pip you become a smaller version of that character. But there is no diminished uh, returns on your ability. You can still run, you can still jump, you can still pick up things. Um, most importantly, the things you can pick up are all of the uh, vegetables that are in this, which are the only way to defeat enemies in this. You you can pick them up. I suppose you can jump on the enemy, pick them up and throw them. Um, but gone are the days of just jumping on a Goomba's head or jumping on a Koopa Troopa's head. And that's that's another thing that we need to point out, the difference between these two games. In the first game, that's how you killed things, was you jumped upon them and Mario's super feet stomped the dude into the dirt. And now you've got four different characters and every single one of them, when you jump on a guy, nothing happens. You don't get damaged. He doesn't get damaged. And if you pick him up and throw him, unless you hit another dude or throw him off the screen, he just pops right back up and comes at you. Yeah, which is, uh, again, terrifying. We have characters wearing plague doctor masks. Shy guys have masks. The Fanto is a haunted mask. you know, And it will stalk you until you go through a locked door. I mean, that's... Yeah, I mean, you steal the key and then the background comes alive and tries to murder you. Yeah. So this is just a bizarre game. This is really, really strange. Um, as I was going through this, uh, I, I made, made a note here that uh, if if you were watching Inception and playing Super Mario Brothers 2, uh, they are eerily similar. Yeah, because basically at the root of it, you're going you know through the first world, one, two, three, into the second world. And it's assumed that what you're doing is just, going deeper into Mario's consciousness. 
Like you're you're peeling through layers of his subconscious like an onion mm-hmm. until you get down to the center where Wart is. And I can only assume that the idea is that you're trying to implant this idea of, hey, you know, troop, Koopa Trooper's bad, I guess. Or it's, I think that this game, is, as far as timelines go, this game probably happened before the first game. Like, this is the impetus that sent Mario on his crazy Koopa smashing. <laughs> like, like this is this is how it all starts. This is how you make a hero. It's all the way down in the bottom of his subconscious, and he turns into, you know, a Koopa-destroying machine. So, um, we mentioned kind of at the, at the start of this that this was a, a reskinned of a game called Doki Doki Panic, which uh, I believe was released in, well, was developed in Japan uh, in the mid eighties. And was, it was put up for a mask festival that they were developing a game for. And the four characters were like mama, papa, uh, and, and two other characters that the names are escaping me, but the, the, the power sets for each of those were uh, transferred over to Mario Luigi, toad and princess um and those powers being that uh you know one of one of them can run very very quickly and by extension can jump fairly far being luigi um the the princess can run and glide um with her dress presumably i'm guessing i i I don't know if it's her dress or if she has some weird levitating power. All I know is that dress could not keep her up as long as it does. M- magic panties. I maybe like we can't see under that dress. We don't know what's under there. Like that, maybe she has like a jet engine is that, <laughs> underneath. <laughs> and she's just straddling it the whole time. Print the princess is a cyborg. Oh God, <laughs> she's <laughs> the princess is Terminator. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, but this is this is also Dream World too. So like, yeah. so these powers are kind of fantastic in their thing. You know, t- uh, Toad I think has the fastest running speed and the greatest strength. But uh, yeah, because he can pick fastest, right? But I don't think he can jump very high. He he can run and pick up things. Yeah, he runs and picks well, but he doesn't like he doesn't have especially compared to Luigi who has the best jump or the princess who has the floating. Um, I think that. As far as like on a scale of power levels, like his is definitely third. Uh, Mario with nothing is last, obviously. Yeah. Um, so some of the enemies in this game, um, you know, we talked about uh, that most of them are wearing masks. Um, the shy guy has just a very plain kind of Jason hockey mask, which is just this kind of just grim white visage that's really just ominous. You know, and, and there's there's always seems to be two or three of them on the screen just marching towards you at any given point until they hit something and turn around like a lemming. Uh, I mean, Shy Guys and Sniffets, uh, both were the masked uh, variety. Bezos, the flying mask guys, basically a Shy Guy with wings. And um, the Phantos were basically when you drop into an Arabian-style pot... <laughs> in a Mario game and then pick up a key, the Phantos would come alive and chase you. Um, and then you have uh, Tweeter and you don't, we don't talk about Tweeter's mask cause this is, uh, this is not an NC 17 show. Well, Tweeter is the, is the, 
the plague doctor character of this. Yeah, it's you know he's, his mask is uh, creepy. But he has, I mean, it it's a small white, presumably bird like character, but it has uh, bat wings uh, and no arms. And it can't fly very far, which is unusual. Right, which makes me think it's some sort of, like, death pigeon that is... It's, oh, God, a, a death pigeon? Yeah, like, like it's just <laughs> like, like a like a pigeon that carries, you know, the plague, you know, bluebonk plague, what have you. And I get, the, you know, the plague doctor masks and all that, but... Um, you See, know. now I have to wonder if this isn't, like, um, the uh, John Carpenter film... Um, where a character like rips his face off and behind it is just a wall of text and words. And I'm wondering if that's what's underneath the masks, like just this crazy non corporeal being uh, contained in a suit. Just, just void. Yeah. Just like just weird. Just papery void. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he seems to have pupils. You would, you would think that implies sight, but you don't know. You don't know what a, what's under there. Yeah. Um, so you have Ninji, who's uh, another character. Is he's cute? He's a real cute little guy. Um, he's just like a little, little, uh, little black ninja character who stands uh, about I think about half the height of most of the, most of the Mario family. Um, and uh, my 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 favorite, and by far probably the cutest character in this game. Uh, is Flurry, who I believe makes an appearance in World Four, which is the Ice World. Uh, Flurry uh, scurries about; has is basically a little sentient snowball, and uh, kind of knocks you around a little bit. Um, but you can ride on them, like you can't ride on most enemies. And the Ice World, I think, is probably my favorite of the of the seven. Um, I do have a confession: uh, I did not get to the Ice World. Um, I I tried to do this, you know, all natural so to speak, uh, a bareback run of Super Mario Brothers 2. And, you know, it's been a long time since I played, like, a straight NES game, and I had forgotten that these games are just punishingly difficult. Um, and when you start over, you start over, all the way back at the beginning with no nothing. It's just, it's you either get all the way through the game or you're done. I will follow up your confession with one of my own. I safe scummed the shit out of this. Um, I got into the world one, two and discovered the warp zone world four by accident uh, on my first playthrough. And I, I went back through and finished world one or world one, three uh, to kind of follow it up after this um, because I, I needed to see, uh, I needed to see the first boss. I got through and, and when you get to the end of these worlds, uh, or sorry, the end of these levels. Uh, there's a there's a character that in the credits is listed as Ostro uh, in the English version, uh, but we all know this character as Birdo, which is terrifying because it it's it's this weird you know egg shooting enemy that would just kind of like births the <laughs> this uh, this this volley of egg at you from its mouth uh which you pick up and then bludgeon it with when when birdo slash ostro uh is defeated it it basically gives birth to a small crystal ball when that is picked up and you progress right off towards the screen there should be you know a, the, the world exit if you will from super mario brothers one was always to enter into a castle a castle or, or exit right or just hey yeah. you, here's your princess um but in this one, uh, every world is is bookended uh, by a large 
I think it's a crow. I, I don't know. I could be wrong. But it's a, it's a large carrion bird of some variety. Um, but it's just its face plastered into the wall. Yeah, and it's it's either growing out of the wall or part of the wall, or I yeah. it's trippy. So so when the, when the crystal ball is is picked up and consumed, uh, the the maw of this bird uh, unhinges, and you step into it to enter into a portal to go into the next realm, which is uh, fantastic and terrifying and bear in mind like this is a side-scrolling game so you're just looking at the side of the bird's face like you have no idea what the characters are seeing as the bird opens its maw as tall as a human being and you just blithely walk inside of it yeah see all the all the games that everyone's come out with uh you know uh all the indie games with you know doing mario from a different perspective over the shoulder behind that sort of stuff super mario brothers one i want to see that super mario brothers two that is nothing but like the dark abyss of like Satan's asshole that they're falling into. <laughs> it really is. Cause it's just, and then it leads you like, you know, inception style all the way down to the next level. And in between somehow there's a slot machine. Oh yes. Yes. Yeah. The chance machine, which is okay. Uh, this game is so trippy. One of the items, and we should have covered this earlier. My, my apologies. Uh, one of the items that you can unearth from picking vegetables while you're on your journey yeah, picking your turnips is a magic potion and when you toss the magic potion it creates a doorway when you go into the doorway it puts you into a shadow world in the shadow world you can still pick vegetables but when you pick them you get coins or you get a mushroom uh, they can sometimes be in there um, but when you get coins and you get to the end level and you go through Satan's portal into the next world uh the you you get chances at a slot machine which the rules are completely ambiguous to me i i have i save scummed it with uh six coins at one point and tried to document all of the outcomes and could not come up with any solution that resulted in i under me understanding what a positive result was i think the only positive result that i can verify is that a cherry in the first slot regardless of what follows results in a plus one life but that's i that's as far as i got i never got anything to match and really it was just it it's so completely and totally out of place like you jump sure. into a giant bird maw and then there's a weird slot machine sure and then on we go right so we we go through um you know seven worlds and at the end of each third level there's a boss and uh you know there's a handful of them that are they're fairly interesting you know we've got uh triclide who is a um a three-headed hydra monster yeah, uh it's uh basically inside of these arabian pots will occasionally be a cobra that jumps up and shoots at you and uh basically triclide is like three of them melded together into a you know hydra body i I almost want to. I almost want to say that it 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 might be the other way around, that that they 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 have they are heads of the triclide that have been cleaved off, and just have their own sentience. Oh God! So so basically, uh, some poor individual uh, fought the triclide and the triclide won, and then the resulting severed heads, right, uh, have become. Tri- tri- triclide used to be like a a senta. Centaclide. Centaclide. <laughs> <laughs> Underheaded snake. 
Oh God! And uh, slowly whittled away. Right. After the years of so many adventurers trying to right. pr- plumb the depths of Mario's subconscious. Right. Because as far as I can recall, I think in World Three is the only world where the the, the uh, Clyde's reside uh they only pop out of pots so one would assume that you know during these adventures uh you know these heads were getting picked up and just shoved into pots for you know storage safekeeping get them away from the kids that sort of thing well yeah i mean it's important you don't want you know giant subconscious snakes shooting fireballs at your child right you know i can see it yeah um this this game is weird man this i I think that were I the style of individual who would partake in mind-altering substances, um, that this game played on one of those substances would uh, literally cause my brain to leak out my ears. Yeah. Like, it's it's already trippy enough. We're just sitting here talking about it, and it just it sounds so completely ludicrous. And I understand this is games, this is a world of fiction and make-believe, but wow this is really out there yeah um you know it the end of this is it's just it's such a a, it's such a mind fuck it's i mean it's true it's uh turnips win the day um big and small and then it you just wake up and then that's that's the game is so is this is this super mario brothers 2 that the turnip boogaloo uh, uh, super mario's <laughs> 2 turnip boogaloo uh, yeah. i like it yeah. i think that a game like super mario brothers 2 is fun in that not only is it an enjoyable game but much like the movie the exorcist uh, every level that you want to bring to the game the game can meet you at that level if you just want an enjoyable interesting trippy experience it's there if you want to ascribe like a deeper meaning to it like you can you can find that there's meat there you can dig into it and it's just i I think a lot of like more modern titles are really lacking that that subtle layering of you know you could like we're sitting here talking about dante and inception and things and I don't. I don't think you could do that with Call of Duty. Uh, no, I, I don't. I don't think so either. Um, but you know, th- there's there's something to be said that uh, you know, we we might be scratching a little too too deep onto that. Oh no! But no no no. But uh, you know, if you're just looking for a good old fashioned Mario game, this is kind of that. You know, at the end of the game, you're still jumping around on enemies. You're still saving well the world, really. Um, you're not saving the mushroom kingdom but you are saving its subconscious and it's i think that's the important factor i know that when they released super mario 2 uh, what would eventually become the lost worlds in america it was basically more of the same super mario only the difficulty was just completely out yes of, out of whack super mario brothers 2 um and and the states was first released as the lost worlds on the super mario all-stars for the snes um, I I did go back and try to replay through that on the original cartridge, and boy howdy, is it's, that a bear? That is the pro Mario Maker levels of of the SNES era. Yeah, it it really, it, like playing when you get the the All Stars cartridge. It's got you know all the original Super Mario games and then Super Mario World. And those are a vastly different experience from Lost Levels, which is just mind-blowingly difficult. Uh, you, it requires 
a precision timing and understanding of each and every level that you do not get from your first playthrough. Like you will die horribly and painfully many, many times before you get that figured out. Uh, we didn't talk about the most interesting aspect and why Super Mario Brothers 2 in Japan is so vastly different from Super Mario Brothers 2 in America. And that was that one individual who ended up doing the, uh, the play testing for that particular game. I think it's interesting that one man uh, who, you know, play tested a lot of... Um, I think it was arcade mint- machines. Yeah, arcade machines. You know, he basically received a piece of mail that contained an unmarked cartridge, and he was asked to play the game and give his thoughts and opinions on, you know, what that particular game was like. And his opinion was that it was, you know, punishingly and frustratingly difficult and that the American populace would not be ready for that sort of experience and they would reject it. And... He was right. He he was, he was right. Like he was he, absolutely right. He was not wrong. Uh, play the lost levels. It's out of out of sight. So he was correct for a for for roughly three months, and and then Castlevania hit the scene, and everyone just lost their mind because hey, here's a game that uh, absolutely just proceeds to wreck you with difficulty. Yeah, Castlevania is a game that. Um, punishes impatience with an iron fist yep. but that is a that that is a story for another time my friend it is uh but more importantly um it's it's interesting that he said no and that nintendo basically off this one man's opinion took doki doki panic reskinned it with mario basically and was like here you go cross our fingers yeah and uh it became just an incredible bestseller. It's one of the best games in the series as far as like metrics, sales ratings, and reviews. Right. I was I was really really surprised. Um, I went to go out and look at um, you know other people's reviews and YouTube like you know let's plays and things like that. And this game is beloved. It is a, like it is right up there. I mean, you Mario Brothers immediately recognizable. Mario Brothers two, people still liked it. Mario Brothers three. Even better, like there hasn't been a single miss in the mainline Mario franchise, and and for as much, um, and I'll be the first person to to kind of give modern Nintendo a little flack for um, just polishing the same silver dollar for the last thirty years. Um, these these first games, you know, they hold up. They they really do, and it's I think it's n- neat that we're sitting here, you know, the year of our Lord, 2017, 30 years, 30 freaking years after the release of these games, and they're still influential and relevant. There's still something to talk about them, and that's that's why we're doing this. It's I think it's important that we we leave this for the next generation so that they realize that these games are still out there. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so I think that like I think it kind of wraps up today's show. Um, thank you all for listening. I'm Russ. And I'm Wally. And this is Channel 3. Thanks for tuning in. See you guys later. Mm-hmm.